This week's episode is about Lady Diana, and there's absolutely nothing funny about that whatsoever. It's Schmanners. listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. I'm sorry you couldn't think of a joke for Princess Di. L- listen, it's it's strange because I'm a person who loves to make jokes. I make jokes often. I make jokes at very inappropriate times. But there are just certain subjects when it, the, when it comes to it, like, I'm just not comfortable making jokes about it. And not, and of course, there are of course, taboos, of course, but I mean, like, Lady Diana, for whatever reason, is just ingrained in my mind that it's not okay to make jokes about Princess Di. Well, so I think the thing is, the reason why you do this is because um, she she was supposed to have this kind of fairy tale ending, and it turned out to be a, a very tragic uh short life well that's like there are very few i mean i can think of others but there are very few examples i can think of where somebody's passing was an international worldwide tragedy right like everybody in the world stopped because somebody died you know what i mean like that that to me like and and when you think about it like you uh, in my lifetime I'm having a hard time thinking of anybody that was as big an impact as Lady Diana that I also, I was, when, what year did she pass away? It was like in the 90s, right? 1997. So I would have been 13, 14, somewhere in there. So it's not like I was incredibly uh, geopolitically savvy, you know what I mean? Uh, but I still felt a tragic loss when she died. So here's the thing. Um Unlike a lot of British royalty just before her, the United States really wasn't like into it. It was kind of like they're over there and we do our thing. They do, they do like they do their thing. Um, and probably anybody you talked to couldn't name anybody other than Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. Like yeah. that was probably it. Um, maybe Prince Charles. Um, but like, it wasn't a thing. It was, and, and then, and then Lady Diana Spencer married Prince Charles after a long string of girlfriends. Well, he had, yeah, we'll he talk had more, but yes. But then, and she was this media sensation, um, not only in the UK, but also, like I said, here in America. So she really kind of modernized the British family for us, which is why we know about her today. So why are we, where does she fall in etiquette and manners and society that we are talking about her for a biography episode? Which, in case you didn't pick up from this lengthy discussion, that is what we are doing. <laughs> we are going to talk about her twofold. First of all, uh, before her marriage, um, and then her sub- subsequent, like, iconic image. Okay. While 
<clears throat> while her while she was married and then divorced from Prince Charles. And you were comparing her. You uh, keep calling her when we were talking about this as a modern day Queen Victoria. Absolutely. So a ton of the stuff that we've talked about before. Um, and we even did, I did that biography on Queen Victoria. Um, just, just the amount of emulation mm -hmm. that there was. Um, everybody wanted to look like her, act like her, wear the clothes she wore. Uh, it, it, it was a phenomenon. And it's, it's something that maybe in modern times, we recognize a little more with kind of the the United States like celebrity culture. Yeah, especially now with the internet where it's so easy and so quick to be able to get those images and you see them constantly shared on Instagram and um you know Instagram and uh, Twitter and Facebook and stuff, but this was you know the 90s. It was 90s. like the yeah. first thing like before the Kardashians um before I mean Kate Middleton is a, is an excellent example. Um again, she's now Princess uh, Catherine, no, Duchess Catherine of Cambridge. Sure, um, sure. I think we've established on the show before, you know what we're not good at? Remembering the <laughs> titles of royalty in England. But also- But everything uh, that she wears sells out. Yeah, we should also note though, because I don't want to make it just sound superficial, Lady Di was also incredibly active as an, like an activist and exactly. an advocate, so. Mm -hmm. She did a lot of work, I remember, with like landmines mm -hmm. and um, HIV AIDS. That's right. She did a lot of, of uh, not missionary work, that's not the word I'm looking for, humanitarian work. There. Yes, yes. Um, so first let's talk early life for, for Lady She Di. was born a baby. Yes, on July 1st, 1961. Um and she was born into the Spencer family, which is an ar aristocratic family. I know this because Teresa has an special fascination with uh I, not just the royal family, but Princess Diana too. Oftentimes I will walk in to catch no, Teresa what it is. watching what? documentaries about Lady Di. No, it's not just Princess Diana. It is I really enjoy British documentaries, pretty much whatever they're about. They're chill. <laughs> they're chill as all get out. So I've watched all the Life series, all of the like country houses and Highclere Castle, you know, all those things. And there is something about a British person walking through a hallway, gesturing at stuff that exactly. is mesmerizing. It's great. And they always do the same. My favorite is they always do this thing where they step into frame, look at the camera and say like, and on this day, 1863, as they stormed up the, the towards the wall and blah, blah, blah. And then they step off of frame the other side as though, oh, hello, Cameron. Didn't see you there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so she, she was born an aristocrat, um, which is not necessarily one of the things that, was, that made her so iconic. Um, but she was part of of a social scene I'd like to talk about called the Sloan Rangers. Okay. Do you know what this is? No, you, you keep saying this. I thought for a long time, I thought Sloan was like maybe the family she belonged to or a house she belonged like house, like this is Harry Potter. But like, what is a Sloan Ranger? So uh, it's a portmanteau <sighs> of um, Sloan Square and the television character, The Lone Ranger. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. I love Portmanteau. I just got so excited that there was one there I hadn't caught. But I did give the illusion to Lone Ranger. Right. 
Um, and it's it's kind of like uh, the U.S. equivalent would be kind of like uh, a preppy person, right? Okay. But kind of not just someone who looks and acts the part of a of a prep preppy person, um, which I think is also has to do with prep schools. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, it, I think it originated there, but it's what I think of whenever I think of like the rich kids in uh, 80s, you know, mm-hmm. like movies like yeah. John Cusack movies where the people who are trying to buy the ski club and develop over it. I don't know. It gets <laughs> muddled. But so Sloan Square is a location in Chelsea, which is an area of London. Um, and it is. A as far as socioeconomics go, it's a very wealthy upper class area. Uh, well, mid or, upper middle upper class. Okay. Um, and uh, so these females were called Sloanes, and they they were the kind of um, the the wealthy children of this upper middle upper class. Okay. And they were usually involved in like equestrian activities. So, you know, polo and horseback riding. Dressage. And dressage and things like that. Um, and some of their signature looks included um, silk scarves that were kind of tied distinctly, uh, usually high up on the neck to hide some of the mouth. Which okay. is where the Lone Ranger thing came in, oh. right? Okay. Um, and it first appeared, this term, Lone Ranger, first appeared in 1975 um, as kind of a label for this particular group of people. Um, and I mean, there's definitely different uh, different terminology for different groups of people. Um, you know, Sloan Rangers and maybe goths. Hipsters. Hipsters. Emo, scene. Punk. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, nerdy. Dorky. <laughs> greaser. Sweat hog. Oh, oh boy. Um, so in 1982 was when a book was published called The Official Sloan Ranger Handbook um, that went through all kinds of stuff for like... Uh, what to wear, where to be seen, uh, customs, uh, shopping, holiday venues, how to choose a husband, like all this kind of stuff. Right? Okay. I'm, I'm really having a hard time processing this because like now after years and years and years, I finally accepted that I am a, a hipster and, but like the idea of, I don't know. There's something about it that, like, once a book is published, it feels like the people who originally would have been doing it would have been like, oh, well, not now. Not now that somebody could just read a book and act like me. You know what I mean? There's just something. But there's the, there's something about Sloanism that has to do with not being a, quote, poser or um, and, and continuing to be proper and humble. So I don't think... That okay, anyone... so there wasn't an an air of like aloofness and snobbery that went with this. I mean, there definitely was, okay. but part of the aloofness was, look, she's such a Sloan, and she pretends that she isn't. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I see. There's layers. 
So also, I apologize if you're hearing at home. We just had new ma- neighbors move in and they're doing a lot of yard work outside. And I think they're building a fence. Uh, like all f- good things on the internet, I found a wiki how. On how to Sloan? How to be a Sloan. Okay. Um, I think that it's very telling that the heading of the, the wiki how says, uh, not everyone comes from a rich, aristocratic, old money family from Kensington and goes to private school. But if you look and act like you are a Sloan, people will believe you are. Okay. Okay. Um, I- so uh, this is this is a modern article. I see that it was most that it was edited uh, five weeks ago. Oh, all right. Wait, is this still a thing? Are people still Sloan Rangers? I read I read several articles about how uh, they still exist, but they're on their way out. Okay, and they've morphed through through the times because a lot of being a Sloan is about uh, keeping up with fashion trends. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I don't think that anyone still wears that scarf thing. Okay. Um, but being a Sloan had to had a lot to do with that particular area in Chelsea that I talked about, which um, is now being populated by a different set of people. Um, I it said a lot of um, of upper middle class uh, immigrants, um, and so there's obviously different. Uh, a different set of people yeah. who are changing. Different culture, different beliefs, different practices, different styles. Different, That's right. All that stuff. All that stuff. Um, so so Sloans may be a dying breed. But here's here's what the wiki house says. Um, you have to be a fashionista. Of right? course. So be very fashionable. But it But it goes on to say that it's important that you keep the preppy kind of look of polo shirts and skinny jeans, Ugg boots, loafers, you know, uh, Lacoste and Ralph you know, Lauren. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. Which I put with a capital B. <laughs> um, it says that it's important that you accessorize. And where I think maybe in the 80s it was the silk scarves, mm-hmm. now the wiki house suggests a pashmina. Or pearls and Louis Vuitton handbags. Okay. No more chunky bracelets like the 80s and 90s. Now, Louis Vuitton. Um, chunky bracelets were a thing in the 80s and 90s, right? I'm not making yeah, that up. Yeah, okay. totally. So, this uh, step three is look beautiful. <laughs> well. And it goes on to elucidate that um, it should be lots of voluminous hair and... Uh, natural looking makeup okay number four it says smell like a sloan all right okay i think it's about just wearing wearing a expensive perfume okay so not just like your natural but right no 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 um you must have the pheromones of a sloan and step five is get the gadgets this says like grappling hook no teleporter this says a slick black ipod and flip phone so that's a little dated. Probably okay. now an iPhone. Well, at least. I mean, there's probably some kind of super high tech stuff that even we don't know about. At Sloan, you have your own Sloan Q. Who's like, now, this appears to be a phone. But. <laughs> Number six says, learn the lingo. Carl, call your friends Darls or Babes and abbreviate oh, names, like words, and okay. exclamations. All right. Darls? 
Darls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's short for darling. It is. It's still gross. Number seven is get in the game because Sloans love their sport. Oh, so like literal sport. Yes. Okay. Uh, typical Sloan sports include Highline, tennis, sailing, Greco-Roman wrestling, golf, horseback riding, polo, lacrosse, most and hunting. Game. Oh, most dangerous game. You're right. <laughs> a lot of battle royale. Do you think they're into esports? Do you think the Sloans are doing a lot of like PUBG and, and then a lot of like step Overwatch? Eight is try to make friends with other Sloans. So that's I a, bet that's a competitive group. I yeah. bet that's a hard group to like. I bet there's a lot of like backbiting and like. And you when know, you have a structure like this, like it feels like it's so easy to. It would be so easy in the eyes of another Sloan to misstep. I think I think that you're doing this subset a disservice. Because I'm thinking of it like plastics from Mean Girls, you know, like. Right. I, I understand that. But I think that you're doing them a disservice because part of the thing about this subset of people is they they all sort of act this way. But one of the things about, like I said, is supposed to be humble, supposed to be like, oh, of course, I'm not that. I am highly personable and I have lots of class and I just happen to be very fashionable. Oh, and, almost like it's an accident that you. Yeah, yeah, almost like it's an accident. Oh, is this Louis Vuitton? Is that what that means? I didn't even, I didn't even know. I just picked it up. I saw, I found it on the street. Because here are some tips. And it already have this tiny dog in it. I don't know. I think that these are great tips for really, um, really a lot of people, not just Sloan's. Uh, don't ever sound pretentious. You can sharpen up your accent a little bit so that it sounds a little more upper class. Um, but you should try to be classy. If someone is trying to embarrass you, remember to keep your cool and don't let yourself get angry or give into violence. So it's not about like that in Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was a lot of passive aggressiveness yeah. Into aggression. Uh, whereas a lot of these tips are like, listen, you're too cool for school. So don't even worry about it. They're just jealous. Um, here we go. Here's another one. Don't neglect your studies. Seeing as most Sloanies go to private schools, they will be well educated. Not not a blonde bimbo. That is uh, the text of the, that's the story. The, not right. Us. That's the text of the wiki. How? Um, be confident because Sloanies are popular, rich, and clearly have nothing to have low self-esteem about. So I think that it's great to be confident in who in who you are and what you're doing. Um, but don't boast. It says uh, boasting is a big turnoff and you'll get teased. Uh, warnings. Here's the warning section of, of the wiki. Don't become a snob. That is a good rule of thumb in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that's a trait no one is going to admire. I think that that is the diamond. It's about being admired. Oh, so not like feared or someone being jealous of you. Right. Okay. That is that is different than what I was thinking. Right. It's about cultivating an image that's admirable. And still very British, you know, uh, very, I think that 
we've talked about sort of the British sensibility as as we see it is a little more self-deprecating, is, you know, stiff, up, stiff upper lip and kind of humble and quiet-ish. Keep calm and fill in the blank for novelty t-shirt here on. Exactly. Um, it also says for the warnings, don't transform overnight. Um, so that no, people don't you're think you're trying to be someone you're person. not. <laughs> um, and then... It says, don't flash your cash or have something to prove. If people see you trying too hard, you'll never be accepted as a true Sloney. So like I said, it's about admiration. Mm -hmm. All right. So Lady Di. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's zero in on Lady Di here in a second. But first, quick thank you note and a word from some other Max Fun shows. Great. We have a Jumbotron this week. Teresa, I would like you to read it, please. This message is for Catherine Borden, and it is from Mom. Oh. Catherine, my lovely, I just wanted you to know how proud I am of you for following your dreams, even if they took you all the way across the country from me. Thanks for a summer filled with adventures big and small. Have I mentioned how much I love the fact that you're carrying on Grandma's legacy? She's smiling down on both of us. Love, Mom. Oh, you guys. No, oh, no, that was legit. <laughs> oh, no. That's why I made Teresa read it. <laughs> um, on my other shows, they tend to be a little bit funnier and snarkier. How that, sweet. That made me uh, get a little misty. <laughs> How perfectly sweet. That's absolutely love you. Thank, thank you. That's um, a great job, Mom. Yeah, Mom, thank you so much both for sending that lovely message and for helping to support uh, Schmanners. Um, if you would like, if you have a message you would like to send and you'd like to help support the show, you can go to maximumfund.org forward slash jumbotron. I'm Allegra Ringo. And I'm Renee Colbert. And we host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog? Renee, can I tell you about a dog I met this week? Yeah, I wish that you would. In turn, though, can I tell you about a dog hero? May I tell you about a dog breed in a segment I like to call Mutt Minute? <laughs> I would love that. Could we maybe talk about some dog tech? Could we have some cool guests on, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, Nicole Byer, and Ann Wheaton? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. You're on board. What do you say we uh, we do all of this and put it into a podcast? Yeah, okay. You think? All right. Uh, should we call it like I don't know? Can I pet your dog? Sure. All right. Uh, what do you What do you say we put it on every Tuesday on Maximum Fun or on iTunes? Sounds the- good to me. <laughs> Meeting's over. I'm comedian and movie buff Ricky Carmona, and I'm excited to tell you about a new show I'm doing called Who Shot Ya? Join me, LA Weekly film critic April Wolf. I'm going to call Star Wars when it comes out the Clint Howard Project. (laughs) (laughs) Film reviews editor for The Wrap, Alonzo Duraldi. Everything Charlize Theron knows about killing somebody with a high-heeled shoe she learned from single white female, trust me. (laughs) And our dope-ass friends each week. The stunt guys were asking me, like, do you need a stunt double in here to, for, for you to skate? I'm like, no, no, I, I was on skates at three. So if you're tired of whack opinions and you're looking for a smart, funny film discussion show, check out Who Shot Your Son? That's what we do. And you can find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we've talked about the Sloan Rangers. Let's zero in a little bit and talk about Lady Di herself. Okay. So she was a lady first, right? 
Yes. I'm not making that up. Okay. She definitely was. Uh, she was. Lady... And I mean that capital L. You know. Okay. Right. We talked about. She's a. She was born into an aristocratic family. Um, the Spencers. The Spencers. Her father became Earl of Spencer in 1975. Okay. And what is the name of their house? Uh, their family home is called An Anthorpe. Okay. You watched a documentary about that, right? Yes. Okay. It's it. Okay. Listen, Americans, North Americans, U.S. Americans listening to this. It is mind boggling. Watch documentaries about estates and the way they talk about it. And like, I think everybody got a little bit of a touch of this from um, Downton Abbey. But this idea of like your full time job becoming the keeping up of an estate. Mm hmm is something that is both fascinates and baffles me. All Thorpe, sorry, there's no N in it. There's but no like N. the idea of like, and then we had to redo the bricks and the grounds and the roof and uh, it basically almost bankrupt us just to keep the house in order. Like it's fascinating. You become the keeper of it, of history mm -hmm. really is what happens. And these, these documentaries about these houses, I highly recommend, I really enjoy them. <laughs> Um, talk about how uh, a long time ago you would have kind of renters on your estate and uh, they would either pay money or goods and services um, so that you could continue the upkeep of the house and the lands and, you know, have gardeners and... You were literally a landlord. Right. I mean, like... You were the lord of the land and you collected rent from people. And I'm sure that there are still people who live on these estates and, and pay rent. But largely now it's about tourism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think even more so it's about keeping up the appearance and the history of the house so that you can attract more tourists and keep making money and keep improving and keeping up the house because the the british countryside is not easy on a house uh it's very rainy and um and damp lots of rot lots of rot and swelling and a lot of these homes um may have a thatched under roof um and they've been built up and built up through the centuries because you have to continually repair these homes. They they start crumbling in one area and then you fix that and then the roof leaks and then uh, the foundation cracks and like all this stuff. We should do a whole episode on estates. But right now we're specifically talking about Lady Diana. So she was born into the house of Spencer. Mm -hmm. Um, What was her childhood? Easy going? Cool? Well, to a point. Um, her mother and father got divorced um, when she was quite young and then, uh, in, uh, 1967, um, so she was six. Mm. Uh, and so that was not very easy on her. She did have some siblings, uh, but it, from what I have read, um, she really, um, emotionally she was quite withdrawn. But outwardly, she loved dance classes. Uh, she aspired to be a ballerina. 
Um, she loved to kind of perform for the camera. You know, I know exactly what that's like. My parents, we had a little um, mantle in our home, or I guess it's a hearth. The mantle is above the the fireplace. Little hearth that we turned into our stage. And mm-hmm. every home movie has some sort of like stage production in front of the fireplace. I totally perform for the cameras too. Um, but like... She was homeschooled for a lot of her her education um, and then went to a boarding school when she was nine. Um, and so although her youth was, I wouldn't say that it, it was a singular experience. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people experience this kind of thing. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't go as far to say that she suffered emotional trauma, but there were there was a little bit of a roller coaster in her early life. Like a normal human life. Right. There were good and bad and yeah. Um one of the things that we talked about as far as Sloanism goes, um, is this education element. And uh that doesn't necessarily expand to secondary education. Mm-hmm. So you can go to a, a, a private school, but not necessarily on to university and still be sl- a Sloan. Um, she went to a finishing school, um, but only for one term. And then she returned to London and started kind of just living her life in London. Uh, she worked as a a preschool assistant she uh worked as a nanny for a while wait really yeah she was a nursery teacher's assistant um you know so she she had jobs she was kind of a pretty much normal person except she was a lady you know what i mean yeah see once again preconceptions like i'm i'm kind of blown away that like that she worked and now, even as I say that out loud, I think it makes me, I don't know, am I a snob for being surprised that she worked? Or am I a, like, storytell dreamer that pictures a princess just waiting? I think you can be both. Okay. <laughs> I think it's both. All right. I'm a storytell snob. A storytell snob. Um, so it was in November of 1977 that uh, Lady Diana first met the Prince of Wales um, and in fact, he was actually dating her older <laughs> sister at the It'll time. It'll never not be funny to me because I picture W H A L E S. No. Hello. I am the bro- I swam up here to the beach. I heard about a lovely lady. She. He was actually dating her older sister Sarah at the time. <gasps> what a twist! Yeah. Um, and they, they, okay. When you're an aristocrat you kind of run in the same circles as the royal family. Mm -hmm. Um, You go to the same kind of events, things like polo matches. Yeah. Um, And as much as Lady Diana seems kind of a normal person, she still did know of, know Prince Charles, met him several times. Like I said, he he was dating her older sister. Um, And it was when they went sailing together aboard the royal yacht the britannia of course um that they first really got together 
uh, and he proposed on February 6, 1981. Okay. Um, their royal wedding was a sensation. Uh, do you remember watching uh, Prince William get married? Yes. Uh, it Just the amount of people... I, I just can't fathom. The streets were lined mm-hmm. with millions of people. Um, and and people watched all over the world. And Lady Diana and Prince Charles's wedding was kind of the prototype for that. They... Um, yeah, I guess it's true. Because if you think about it, like... I know... Wait. Was Queen Elizabeth... Married before or after everyone had a TV in their home. Because I knew her inauguration, or no, what am I thinking? Crowning? Whatever. Her coronation. Coronation, thank you. That was a heavily televised event. Yes. Um, was she married before she was coronated or after? I'm not sure. See, this is our this is our American ignorance show. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, but anyways. But I do know that by the time that uh, that Prince Charles got married to Lady Diana. Everybody was watching on TV. Yeah. On both sides of, of the Atlantic. Everyone. Everyone. Um, the global television audience crested 750 million people. Um, Did they sell ads against that? I wonder. I wonder. Was it like the Super Bowl? Hmm. Probably. And uh, 6,000 of those spectators were just in the streets. Yeah. Not even at 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 St. Paul's Cathedral. It's just mind blowing, which is why they picked St. Paul's, because it has more seating than Westminster Abbey. Mm. Okay. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Everybody was watching. She, Everybody she wore a beautiful dress. Um, And this is where... I think the kind of tragedy of Lady Diana starts, of Princess Diana at this point. Um, I've watched several documentaries, as you as you mentioned. And uh, did you know that she suffered from an eating disorder? Did not know that. She was bulimic. I didn't know that. Uh, which probably uh, really came to fruition during her engagement. Um, because like a lot of brides, she wanted to lose weight for the wedding, but not like a lot of brides. She was under incredible scrutiny. This is when like the media really kind of like started to come after her with, with gusto. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to like take pictures of her and, you know, she was just everywhere. She was on TV. She was in the papers like every day. She was on magazine covers, it was crazy. So she she began a, a, a difficult journey um, right there at her engagement and wedding. Um, I saw the documentary saying that she she lost eight inches of, on around her waist. Wow, isn't that crazy? She's like she was five foot ten, um, and so she was a tall lady, but to lose that much weight. I mean, I guess they just have to keep taking your dress in and in and in. But it it obviously wasn't healthy. She had an eating disorder. Um, so moving ahead a couple years, um, 
in um, 1982, she gave birth to the couple's first son, William Arthur Philip Louis. A lot in there. A lot in there. They a lot all, of king there's names always, in there's there. There's always a lot of names in there. A lot of king names in there. Uh, second son, Henry Charles Albert David. A lot was, of king names in there, too. Yep. Was born September 5th, 1984. Um, and according to, <laughs> according to my research, this family time of young children was probably the happiest in her relationship with Prince Charles. Um, and as things progress they become uh, more and more estranged, which is sad. So what happened? I mean, There's... was it just... Because that's the thing is, I think because of... So many people think of it as like a fairy tale story, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to think that the answer to that question is, well, like many couples that get divorced, they grew apart and it just wasn't right it just wasn't the right fit and they fell out of love with each other i mean was there any specific event that occurred i think that there were a couple of touchstones first of all they were 13 years apart in age um so they may not have had a lot in common to begin with mm -hmm. uh also the pressures of of having a royal life in the public engagements and, and, you know, appearances and speeches and things is pretty high. There's a lot of pressure there. Um, and I think that when you add in the media, just the insatiable appetite that the media had for, for princess Diana, that it makes it even harder. And then, um, one of the, the major scandals of their marriage was Prince Charles uh, had a relationship before marrying Diana with a woman called Camilla Parker Bowles, mm -hmm. who he is married to now. Um, and it's pretty clear that even after their marriage, he continued to have this relationship with her. Continued to have it in a physical way or did not break off communication with her? Uh, in a physical way. Ah, yeah. yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. But Princess Diana had her share of lovers as well. Um, there are several that that are mentioned in a couple articles. Um, a family riding instructor, a polo player, and this was all like in in the news. All confirmed. All confirmed. Uh, some of it by Princess Diana herself because she collaborated a kind of tell-all book while she was alive. Um, and that got her in a lot of trouble with the royal yeah, family. I can imagine. Um, and so th there, there were a lot of things that really contributed to it. And I think had it been really anyone else, um, the pressure to stay together as long as they did wouldn't have been there. It would have been we we don't have a lot in common. You obviously you mean if it would have been anyone else other than royals, right? Yeah, in, under so much scrutiny, right? And um, they they pretty much uh, so during the nineties, the prince and the princess pretty much really only spoke to like their friends. They didn't really speak to each other. And they each kind of blamed each other mm -hmm. for the the disintegration of their marriage. I, you know, I don't doubt 
that when they first got engaged, they thought this could be it. This could be our fairy tale. Um, and then very quickly they learned that they, their relationship was probably not strong enough. That's really sad. Yeah. This is, this is where they really differ from, uh, (laughs) Queen Victoria and, uh, Prince Albert. Um, so even though their, their marital difficulties were in the press as early as 1985, um, they announced via the prime minister in 1992 that they were amicably separating. Okay. And so this is where this stage in Princess Diana's life, when when the separation and later divorce from Prince Charles happens, this is when she really kind of steps out onto the world stage as an icon. Mm-hmm. Um, she no longer really felt kind of oppressed by the image and the royal family, although she certainly did s- still suffer from depression and anxiety and the constant hounding of the press. But I also imagine that when you are in the royal family, when you married into it or born into it, there's probably a lot of handling. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of like, you can't say this, you can't do this, you can't go there, you can't be seen doing this. Right. Because that reflects on the royal family and that just can't happen. Right. Um, but once they, uh, once they separated and divorced, man, she really kind of stepped out as far as like fashion goes, all those beautiful pictures, beautiful gowns, um, the iconic picture of her dancing with John Travolta. Have you, you've seen this. Mm -hmm. She's wearing a, a, like a black velvet mermaid dress. It's, it's amazing. And these images were just like plastered all over everywhere. And, and if you're interested, there are several exhibitions of her clothing that you can go and see across the country. She, I think really came into her own as far as like her silhouette was down. She usually did kind of a strapless or like a one shoulder slim dress. And that's really the iconic picture of her well i mean but still it, you it should also be mentioned coupled with that is the other tragic side of it of eating disorder and depression and you know what i mean like where yeah she was beautiful but at what cost one might say she did suffer from a lot of anxious conditions and eating disorder and um postpartum depression mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's kind of a double-edged sword in the way of, yes, this was, this is terrible for her, but she also brought this out to light in, in the media. She talked about these things. She made it normal and acceptable for other people to, to like talk about their suffering and, and get recovery and health. This is one of the things, um, that is kind of her legacy, there have been multiple uh, uh, press releases from, you know, Prince William um, highlighting the need for mental health care. And I think that because it was so close to him with his mother, uh, her troubles, 
this is one of the things that he's really championed. And that's that's great. That's something good to come out of this tragedy. Okay. Um, let's talk about her charity work a little bit. A couple of the things that are really kind of highlighted in her charitable work um she she did a lot of charitable appearances but like you said there are there are several main ideas she worked a lot with landmines um and there is a special news clip of her where she realized very early on how much power she had over the media and she decided that if she was going to have this this ever-present paparazzi around her, she was going to use it. Um, so I think that she brought to, brought out a lot of really good causes that would have been in the background. Um, as far as landmine goes, if I'm remembering correctly, the cause is... Um, so basically, during wars, people bury landmines, mm-hmm. and then the war ends, and everybody leaves... And there are still active landmines buried throughout, you know, the landscape. And then people, especially children, but people walking through that area set off the landmines and are injured. Um, And so I believe the cause was to go through and deactivate and remove landmines. Right. Um, Which is the kind of thing you think everybody would be on board with. I agree. But it was very much... um an an invisible problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in developing countries, uh, war-torn countries that didn't get a lot of press. And so having Princess Diana go there and bring her kind of like paparazzi entourage really highlighted these problems. Um, she also was involved in the forefront of AIDS and HIV care. Um, in this time period, it was still a... Uh, was still kind of a, a taboo to Very really talk about stigmatized that's the word i'm looking for it was still highly stigmatized to have aids or hiv and a lot of it in case far younger a lot of that time period was this idea of like well if someone has hiv or aids it's because of something they did mm-hmm. um and if they had just not done that thing and it, it was very like victim blamey for a long time i mean in some ways still is but was far, far worse of like, there was, I remember um, in like early health classes of people saying, if you just don't do these three things, you're fine. And it's, that's just not how it works. And and because people, it was so stigmatized, people were afraid to talk about it. And so the education about it was very poor. Mm-hmm. And also people coming forward and saying, I have HIV AIDS and like being, you know what I mean? There are people who are so afraid of the stigma that they did not, tell partners that they had it because they didn't want to be stigmatized with it. It was, it was not a great time. And not only uh, were the victims stigmatized, it was a brand new disease really. And so there was a lot of false information of how you could contract AIDS or HIV. Um, And one of the things that, that princess Diana did was she was photographed holding the hand of an AIDS patient without gloves on. And this was, it, it was just unheard of 
first of all, for someone who was part of the royal family or had been at one point to, to, to touch someone was highly irregular. And then for her to not be wearing gloves, not even like um, cotton gloves, not just like medical gloves, but any kind of gloves, really opened people's eyes. She gave people hugs. Um, she touched their hands, she kissed their foreheads, things like that, and really showed that this disease, although communicable, was not communicable by touch. Yeah, yes. And you didn't need to be afraid to comfort and touch people who had this disease. This was, I remember once again in, I think, middle school health class, like, no irony about it, the discussion about, like, you know, from a toilet seat using a water fountain after somebody else. Can I catch it from there? And people having to be like, no. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. In 1991, uh, there's a very famous picture of her hugging a victim during a visit to the AIDS ward of the Middlesex Hospital. And that's another one of those iconic images of her. Um. So I have a feeling that we are perhaps nearing the end of the story of Lady Di. We are. Um, so on August 31st in 1997, she was fatally injured in a car crash um, in a tunnel in Paris. Uh, it also resulted in the death of her companion at the time, uh, Dodi Faid, and the driver, Henry Paul. Um, her bodyguard did survive the crash, but it was horrific. Um, and a lot of people came out. Uh, famously, George Clooney made a impassioned speech about the role of the media and the paparazzi in the car crash. Um, they were going quite fast in order to get away from paparazzi. Um, and there was even a kind of conspiracy theory around the whole thing. Um, where uh, some people maintained that the crash had been planned by MI6. Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, there was an inquest all the way up from like started in 2004 into like 2008 that finally attributed the accident to negligent driving um, because they were going too fast for the conditions. But, I, I do think that had they not been pursued so heavily, they probably wouldn't have gone so fast. Um, also, the other side of it is, once again, much like the the royal wedding, the world stopped. Like I I I I still remember the impact. That, I mean, there were huge tribute events. Of mm-hmm. course, there was Elton John's "Candle in the Wind." Um, the, like, I, I believe, was she lay, was she laid, I'm trying to remember, laid in state, whatever, where people could come by and there was like a procession through, or was, I mean, anyways, the whole world paid attention to the funeral and to the tributes and, I mean, here we are, mm-hmm. now what, 20 years later, and like, it still is a subject that I and I think a lot of people still take very seriously. Right. Um, Speaking of her grave, originally it was planned that she would be interred at the Spencer family vault 
which is in a local church nearby to uh, Great Brington. Um, but because of the onslaught of visitors, he, uh, the Lord Spencer, the now Lord Spencer, her brother, worried that, that public safety and security could not be maintained. Um, so he had her buried on a grave on an island um, inside their their family estate um, where she could be you know visited in private by her family um, so yeah I, I, I don't know how much there is left to say um, I still consider it a tragedy um, and I think she still has a lot of impact especially now as we see so much um, influence from the royal family still uh, impacting the world, especially now that her sons are having kids. You know, I think her legacy lives on not only in the way that we think about her, but also in the way that the royal fam- family operates now. Exactly. Um, her son, uh, so Prince William, has very much continued her... Uh, her, I don't want to say style of parenting, but before Princess Diana, um, there were kind of royal nannies and the children were kind of kept away and educated at home and even even birthed at home. Um, but his family, um, his children have been born in hospital and uh, uh, Princess Catherine stays at home uh, to, to, to raise them and they take them on, um, on trips with them, which is one of the things that Diana started doing, taking the children with them. Um, and although I'm sure that they do have help and assistance, um, they are pretty hands-on and that's one of the things that Diana really wanted for her family. Um, so I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it. And, uh, you can go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. You can also go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. There's a ton on there. You're going to love them. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Teresa and I are going to be f- performing at the Joko Cruise this year. If you want to find out more information, you can go to JokoCruise.com. That's J-O-C-O Cruise.com. Um, if you'd like to see the other shows that we do and that our extended family does, you can go to macroyshows.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast. You can join the Facebook group. Schmanners fanners. Uh, let's see. What else, Teresa? What am I forgetting? As always, thank you to Brent Brontofloss Black for our theme music. And that is available as a ringtone where those are sold. Um, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our beautiful Twitter and thumbnail art. And thank you to Keely Weiss Photography for the banner art for the Facebook group. Uh, So that's going to do it. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manner Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.